0: Welcome to the East Memorial Student Podcast, your source for the biblical teaching of East Memorial Student Ministries. I'm your host, Matthew Ronsky, pastor of Students and Discipleship at East Memorial Baptist Church in Prattville, Alabama. All right, well, as I mentioned, our relationships series is not going to begin for another two weeks, so many of you might be asking, I know some of you might know, but okay, well then what are we going to spend the next two weeks talking about? Well, uh, it has been, you could say over the last several months, brought to my attention that among the younger generations, especially your generation, there is a surge in the experience of anxiety. So, and that's what statistics show, that uh, millennials, which is my generation, down to the Gen Zers, which is most of you... And I'm sure, even I think the next generation is now Generation Alpha, is the is the new is the youngest generation, that our generations are experiencing anxiety at a rate that is far higher than the older and previous generations before us. And so, thinking of that, I'm also aware that many of you individually are struggling with. With severe levels of anxiety from time to time. Um, Not that I necessarily know names or anything specifically, but word has gotten back to me that the anxiety that you're struggling with, or some of you are struggling with, is so severe that it can be crippling. It can be crippling. And what I mean by this anxiety, and by the way, uh, Bima, would you be able to turn down the the boom of the voice just a little bit? Thank you. What I mean by anxiety, let me give you a definition that I pulled from the American Psychological Association. And there are many definitions out there, but they describe it as an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes like increased blood pressure. And then they go on to say, people with anxiety disorders usually have recurring intrusive thoughts or concerns They may avoid certain situations out of worry. They may also have physical symptoms such as sweating, trembling, dizziness, or a rapid heartbeat. This is their definition. Biblically defined, the word that that will be, you could say, central to many of the passages that we'll be talking about. The anxiety that we're talking about is a worry that essentially hijacks and captivates the mind. It takes control of the mind and you can become so consumed with worry or concern that you feel either crippled or compelled to completely reorient or change your life to address that worry and concern. And and in in this type of anxiety that we're describing, it doesn't matter if you're missing out on something good or more important or if you are neglecting an obligation, a good obligation that you may have. Those that are experiencing this type of anxiety, the source of that concern or that worry becomes the number one priority in that moment. It shifts everything. That's the kind of anxiety that we are talking about. And there is an interesting thing about this in my my studies that anxiety, well, here's the thing. Anxiety can be felt or experienced by anyone, guys or girls. But women, girls, are far more likely to be diagnosed with anxiety disorders, which is just an interesting thing. And the word that I've received back is that most who are struggling with this tend to be teenage girls. And there's some theories as to why that is. Now, again, and we're talking about it, it's not just girls, men are, are just as susceptible to this, but there are some theories why, why girls are more likely to be diagnosed. Um, One theory is that the male brain tends to be better at compartmentalizing experiences and emotions. So the way I've heard it described is like men's brains are like a waffle with all these little compartments. And they can kind of, you know, put one in and then, you know, then go to another one and put stuff in that one and just kind of shift back and forth. And if you were like me a little bit, like if you ever played those games where like you put just enough syrup so it stays in that compartment. And you just like do that each one. Anybody done that before? You know, like that. That's how the male brain can be described sometimes, right? And in comparison, the the female brain can be compared. This is what I. This is what is said. Like spaghetti, where everything is just intertwined and interconnected, and it's all bouncing into each other. And at any given time, there's a million thoughts going through. A girl's brain. That's, is that, is that true? Is that true? Yes, okay, girls say amen. So it is possible that that might be, and really the consequence of this, of this spaghetti brain of women, so to speak, is that girls may feel more of the pressures of life. They're not as suited to just shut out and tune out things that are going on around them, much to the frustration of wives, of husbands, where it's like the husbands, like some, sometimes, well, and I'm, I'm a husband, we'll just shut it, we'll just tune out, and they'll be talking to us for, you know, 30 seconds, and be like, wait, what did you just, or Wait, are you talking to me right now? Like, what did you just say? And it's like, I have to repeat myself again, you know, and then you like really try, okay, I'm going to really try to listen, and then sometimes you still, it doesn't all come through, you know, and that's just, the way guys can be sometimes right so that might be a theory as to why girls are more susceptible to crippling anxiety another theory is that girls tend to be more agreeable this is one distinction between men and women that is is fairly uh universally recognized and by agreeable what i mean by agreeable is, the, is agreeable in terms of expectations or demands that are placed upon you. So it's kind of like the whole thing where girls tend to be better rule keepers, right? And I think that's fair, whereas the boys, they'll, they'll push the limits, try to see how, how much they can get away with. And so where this comes in is that it, what it, where the consequence can be is this agreeableness of girls means that if demands or expectations are placed upon them, girls may typically feel more pressure to meet those expectations. It's not not 100%. There might be some girls that are less agreeable than some guys. But generally, generally, as a a principle, girls tend to be more agreeable. So that's another theory, why girls might struggle more with, with crippling anxiety. But honestly, when we consider, and we will, the spiritual causes for anxiety, I would suspect and argue that men and women experience anxiety at generally the same rates, but the way that they might express that or respond to it might be a little bit different. For example, men typically they're going to show more aggression and frustration, you know. And I, I can put myself in that category when I'm when I'm feeling uneasy or unsettled or like things are out of control, like for like when I'm traveling or some kind of situation like that I tend to have a shorter fuse and I'm, I'm it's easier for me to experience anger or frustration in those moments so maybe that's a way guys can. another thing guys in that sense of compartmentalizing their brain space guys may look more for distractions when they're feeling anxious or worried. Um, I don't know about you maybe there's girls out there but typically you don't hear about girls having video game addictions. I know that there's girl video game streamers out there, okay, that are ma- making money. So I'm seeing a few hands raised video video game addictions. No, no that's <laughs> But but that is something that is common among guys, some guys, right? They just play video games all day and perhaps that's a way that they're they're coping with the stresses or anxieties of life. Regardless of whether men deal with anxiety a lot differently or or not, and I'm sure there's going to be overlap. The bottom line is that all people struggle with anxiety at different levels and at different times and due to different reasons, okay? We all struggle with it. Now, for those of you who have struggled with it, I probably don't need to convince you, especially when we're talking about the crippling anxiety, but even just any anxiety in general, I probably don't need to convince you that that emotional state and feeling is not a good feeling or not a helpful feeling. I don't need to probably convince you of that. You probably have experienced that and you probably experienced sometimes some of the harmful or destructive reactions to that anxiety as well. And, and you've, you fill in the blank there. So I don't need to convince you that it's a bad thing or that it doesn't feel good, anxiety. But you may not know, maybe you do, but maybe you don't, that Scripture also identifies anxiety as a bad thing. But even more so, Scripture identifies the anxiety that we're talking about as a sinful emotion. It's not just a harmful emotion that doesn't feel good. But it's even a sinful emotion and mindset that is often associated in Scripture with unbelieving people or the spiritually immature. And let me give you some examples of that. So the first Scripture that we'll look at tonight is in Mark 4. And we'll look at verses 18 to 19, and it will be on the screen as well. But Mark 4 verses 18 to 19. And this is the parable Well, Jesus is explaining the parable of the, of the, the sower and the seed that's falling along the different types of soil and, and path. And he's describing here in this parable uh, people who are the, the soil among the thorns. And here in his description in verse 18, he says, and others are the ones on whom seed was sown, among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, and if you know this parable, the seed is the word of God, and the sower is Christ, and then those who follow Christ who are spreading the word of God through their ministry. And then the soil are different people who respond differently to the word of God. And so he says, these are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world, and this worries of the world is related to the term for anxiety that we've talked about, worries of the world. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So here, anxiety or worries of the world is described as something that chokes out the word of God in the life of God these types of people that are struggling with this. And the result is that for that person, the word of God is unfruitful. It produces no spiritual fruit. It has no effect on their life. It becomes worthless to that person, all because the worries, the anxieties of the world, along with the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things, choke it out. So here's one scripture. Another scripture is Luke chapter 21, verse 34. Luke 21, verse 34. And here Jesus is teaching. And the context of this passage is Jesus is teaching on his return at the second coming, when he will return in judgment to judge the wicked, establish his kingdom of righteousness. And regarding this time of the end... Jesus says to his disciples in Luke 21, verse 34, Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation, or you could describe that as reckless living, and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. So here, worries of life, same terminology, worries of world, same same term for anxiety, It is identified here as thoughts that can weigh down the heart and damper or lessen spiritual alertness. Weighing down the heart and dampening spiritual alertness. And here, the lack of spiritual alertness, and elsewhere in other scriptures, it is associated with people who will be surprised at the coming of Christ. They're so focused on the worries of their life and what they're doing in this life, that when that day of judgment comes, they're caught by surprise and they're caught unprepared. And so when that day comes and all of the trials and distresses of that day, and they will be great, they will be uncomparable with any time in human history, the people who are weighted down by these anxieties will be unable to stand the test. They'll fail When the testing comes and when Christ comes. Another passage that we'll consider is in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and we'll look at verses 6 to 7. And here God is speaking through the Apostle Paul. And God through the Apostle Paul says in verse 6, Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here, this be anxious for nothing, this is a command. It is literally a command be anxious for nothing. Which means if you are anxious for anything, and here it says nothing, so if you're anxious for anything, then that is sin. You are in sin when you are anxious for anything. So we see in these three passages that anxiety is not only not good, but it is sinful. Now, I do want to make a clarification that by citing these passages, The intention is not to make you think that you are not a Christian if you're struggling with anxiety. All right? That is not necessarily true. Now, I will say, if you are a person who is crippled by anxiety on a regular basis, and this defines your life, then it may be a symptom of an unbelieving heart that does not have peace with God. It may be true. So I don't want to say that that's never true, but... As a sinful state of mind, anxiety may also be just one of the many sins that Christians struggle with every day. One of the many sins. And so just because you're struggling with anxiety doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It could, but it doesn't. It may mean that you're just dealing with ordinary sin that we all deal with. Even the most godly people on earth are going to struggle with the sin of anxiety. So I don't want to discourage you, but at the same time, what these passages do show us and what they do indicate is that feelings of anxiety or the worries of life is a sinful state of mind that needs to be acknowledged as sin, confessed as sin, and that we need to try to conquer in our life. And that's especially if we want to have a spiritually fruitful And joyful life where we do feel the peace of God and we see the spiritual fruit that comes from that. If we want that kind of life, then we we must address this. That doesn't mean that you will ever 100% conquer this, you'll never 100% remove anxiety from your life. But, and here's the illustration I thought of. Anxiety should be like the fish you just reeled in from the pond or the lake. Who's here? Who are my fishers here? Fishermen? Okay, we got a few. So think when you just pull in that fish and you throw the fish on the deck of the boat, and that fish is flapping around and it's gasping for for its final breaths. That's what anxiety should be like in your life. Still gonna be there, still alive, it's still still some life kicking in the in the in the body, but it's dying. And it's almost there and it's it's struggling. And it's on its last few breaths, right? That's the goal. That's the goal for us. That's what anxiety should be like in our life. That's what we should be striving for. So when it comes to this effort to conquer anxiety, and this is where we'll, we'll shift next, we do have to address what I could call a myth about anxiety. A myth about anxiety And that is this, when you read about anxiety on the internet or pay attention to conversations about anxiety, often the focus is on things or situations that trigger anxiety. What do I mean by that? Okay, uh, one thing that's commonly mentioned is social media. Social media being a big cause of anxiety. And this is because ever since smartphones came out, which is around 2010, 2011, the numbers for people struggling with anxiety has just gone through the roof. And it all seems, a lot of it seems to have begun around that time when smartphones became came out, became popular, which then gave us this twenty four seven access to social media, and everything, and all that that brings. Right, all the ex, the, the expectations that social media puts upon us, unrealistic expectations, the. Huge amount of relationships and friendships that we may now feel like we're obligated to keep up on where you start to feel guilty or anxious if you don't, you know, acknowledge everyone's birthday on social media or like every post. You start to worry about, oh, no, I didn't like that post. Is she going to think I'm mad at her or or et cetera, whatever, you know. So there's that. Social media is cited. Another thing, uh, bullying or social dynamics at school, okay, I was public schooled, kindergarten through high school, and yeah, middle school is a huge source of anxiety, right, I, I know what it was like, high school felt like it was a little bit easier once you start getting to high school, but even then, high school can, can really be a bummer too, so that's another cited cause, Uh, Third one, homework and academic responsibilities. Sure, there's the pressure to get the grades, get the scholarships. Uh, The busyness of life. You might be juggling sports, school, family responsibilities and obligations. And when you combine all of those things together, life can feel overwhelming. Also, health. If anyone has had a health scare, you know that's like an instant source of anxiety. And you can get in the point where everything then becomes, am I dying? Is that little, oh, I felt a little twinge there. Is that cancer? You know, you can start to think these things, right? I mean, you know, it's it's serious, right? And then maybe a final thing, and this you'll feel more as you become an adult, but your work and finances, right? The anxiety over money, you know, will I be able to pay the bills? Will I be able to afford this or that? That can be a huge source of anxiety, too. and. And I do want to acknowledge that these things, and there are many other sources of anxiety, they are legitimate sources of anxiety. I don't want to discount that. I don't want to say, you know, well, you know, that shouldn't be a big deal to you. There's like a video where it's like a joke where they're doing like they're going to this counselor or this therapist, and she's sharing all these problems. And then he just says, okay, you got a pen and a paper. Here, write these words down. Stop it. And he just says, just stop it. You know, just, you know, I don't know if anybody's seen that before. Is that just me? Okay, it's it's an old one. It's pretty funny, but yeah, that's his only counsel: just just stop it. You know. Oh, you've seen. Okay, we got, we got one. We got one. So, I don't want to discount your sources of anxiety. However, Scripture is abundantly clear that external situations and circumstances do not cause sinful thoughts or actions. Let I me mean, say that again. Scripture is clear. Your external situations in life do not cause the sin in your life, including the sin of anxiety. And if you think about it, and we'll look at some scriptures, but think about this for a moment. Scripture teaches that all situations experienced in life, all situations, the good situations And the bad situations are 100% under the control of God. 100%. For example, in Isaiah chapter 45, Isaiah chapter 45, verses 5 to 7, I want to show you this. Isaiah 45 verses 5 to 7, the Lord speaks in verse 5, saying, I am the Lord, and there is no other. "'Besides me there is no God. "'I will gird you, though you have not known me, "'that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun "'that there is no one besides me. "'I am the Lord, and there is no other, "'the one forming light and creating darkness, "'causing well-being and creating calamity. "'I am the Lord who does all these things.'" So all of the negative things in life, illness, issue with your friends, issue at your job, all the good things that you experience, all of it ultimately comes from the sovereign hand of God. And so the implication that you have to think, if bad or difficult circumstances caused you to sin or to think sinful thoughts, then God could be accused of causing people to sin. Or tempting people to sin through the circumstances that he controls, and this is not what Scripture teaches at all. Another passage to look at is James chapter one. James chapter one verses thirteen to fifteen, and here James address, uh, uh, directly addresses the thought that God may be causing us to sin through his control of external circumstances. And here the Lord speaking through James in verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust or desire. That's another word for a strong desire. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So, what this passage teaches is that sin does not begin from outside of you through some external situation. Instead, sin begins within you, it begins with the desires, the strong desires, the lusts of your heart. That is where sin has its beginning. So we can't blame external circumstances. We can't blame stresses or situations that we experience in life for any sin that we commit. The blame falls on us and us alone. And to drive home the point that the pressures or difficulties in life are not the cause of your anxiety or any other sinful thought or action, consider Jesus. All right, Jesus, he became fully man, 100% human. And there is not a single troubling or difficult situation in life that, that, that Jesus did not experience. Not a single situation. He, betrayal of friends, hunger, thirst, being tired, pain, death. He experienced it all. He experienced it all, yet he never sinned In thought or action. For example, in Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4 verses 14 to 15. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. This means that any temptation you experience, Jesus has experienced that same temptation. The difference between you and him is that while temptation often and most often leads you to sin, it never led Jesus to sin. He resisted it all. Now, this doesn't mean, and and again, this doesn't mean that Jesus never experienced distress or he never experienced a troubled spirit. He did. He did experience grief and various emotions that you and I experience in the face of such temptations. But it never rose to the level of sin. So even though he had distress and a troubled spirit from time to time, that distress never rose to the level of anxiety. He never... He never arrived at a point of mind where he was distracted. He was never became so worried about something that he lost control, that he lost focus on the things that were important or on his calling in life, or that he lost trust in his Father. He never came to that point. Now again, you're not Jesus, so you will never be able to live like he lived, but what this passage shows us is that and again it's just emphasizing the point that external pressures or difficulties do not guarantee you to sin. They do not force you to sin. And Jesus' resistance of that proves proves the point. So, the myth of anxiety, the myth is that anxiety is caused by difficult external situations in your life. That's the myth. But now that we've covered the myth, let's start to move towards the solution. And we could say this, that if the external circumstances in your life, the stresses of your life, are not what causes you to succumb to the sinful emotion and mindset of anxiety, then the cure for anxiety cannot focus on changing external life circumstances you can't say well if only i get rid of this or only if this is different then i won't experience anxiety because remember that's not the cause of it that's not the cause think of it this way right think of if you have a broken bone if you anyone has like had anyone broken a big bone in their body like a okay i got one hand over there like like the arm like the humerus the arm bone or like one of your big leg bones, something like that. i got, got a few hands, okay? So, Anna, got, we got one there? No, no, okay. So I've never broken one of those bones. I've only broken a little small bone. But I've heard that breaking a femur, for example, is one of the most painful experiences you could ever go through. One of the most painful experiences. I think that was even mentioned maybe at camp this last week. But breaking a bone is painful, right? And if you think of it this way, when you experience a broken bone, what you're thinking about in that moment is not, oh, you know, my bone is broken. I hope it doesn't look funny when it heals or anything like that. You're thinking about that pain, that this hurts really, really bad. And the temptation is to think that if, if well, I need to deal with the pain. Not, not necessarily temptation is not the right word, but that's the response, right? I want to deal with this pain. And certainly there are things we could give you for the pain. We could give you some strong pain medications that are going to temporarily remove the pain. But does that heal the broken bone? No. No, it doesn't. Right? So you can temporarily remove the symptoms of the broken bone by taking pain medication. But if you really want to heal the situation and move, remove pain for good, you need to fix the broken bone. You need to reset the bone Possibly have surgery, let it heal, go through rehab and therapy, and then, Lord willing, one day you won't feel pain. But if you just only take painful pain meds over and over again, then eventually it's going to wear off and you're going to try to walk or do something with your broken bone, and it's going to hurt all over again. Right. So think of anxiety in the same way. You can address the symptoms. You can address the external causes of anxiety, and I would even say that you probably should, right, to, to an extent, right? Like If you know that certain situations in your life are strong sources of temptation toward anxiety or are strong causes or you could say triggers for anxiety, then it probably would help you to try to change that aspect of your life to reduce the source of that temptation, right? We're not Jesus Christ, so we can't resist all temptation, So if you know that, okay, this aspect of my life is making it really difficult to deal with this, well, then maybe you should change that or address that situation. Just like if you break a bone, you should take some pain medication, right? You should, okay? It'd be stupid not to, to go through surgery with no pain medication and all that stuff. Maybe you have a point to prove, but, but you get it, right? You should take it. However, what this does mean, the point I am trying to make is that to really get at the heart of anxiety and to cure anxiety, you need to address the real cause of anxiety. And what that cause is, is a dysfunctional heart. And what I mean by that, your heart, your spiritual inner person, your, your thinking, your the way you think. That, that's, what, that's what the Bible means by your heart. It's your thought life. It's your inner life. It's how you think. It's how you believe. That's what needs to change. So specifically, you must address a dysfunctional, we could call it like this, a dysfunctional spiritual outlook and mindset that ultimately leads to anxiety. That's the problem that we have to address. And if we were to unpack this dysfunctional spiritual outlook that leads to anxiety, there are two incorrect views that contribute to this dysfunction. And you might remember this from camp if you were there. But there are really two incorrect views that lead to almost all sin at the end of the day. And that is this, number one, an incorrect view about God. Incorrect view about God is the first dysfunctional state of mind or state of belief that leads to anxiety and other sins, but especially anxiety. And number two, an incorrect view about yourself. That's the number two. That's the number two problem. These are the two causes. These are the two dysfunctions of the heart, so to speak. And if we apply this to anxiety, the specific incorrect views about God and self, are this. So thinking about these incorrect views and then applying it specifically to the issue of anxiety. And next week, we are going to explore these two incorrect views in more detail. But here are the two views. Unawareness, number one, unawareness or lack of trust in God's care for you and ability to care for you. Lack of trust in God's care for you or the ability to care for you. Or instead of lack of trust, maybe just complete unawareness. Maybe you don't know what the scripture says about God's care for you and his ability to care for you. So that's number one. Number two, specific, incorrect view, dysfunctional view that leads to anxiety. Number two, an unrealistic view about your own ability to control your life and its outcomes. Unrealistic view about your ability to control your life and its outcomes. I would argue that these two dysfunctional, incorrect views are really what is at the cause of anxiety. So next week we're going to explore that. We're going to explore these more in depth. Now, you might think, well, okay, I'm leaving you hanging, right? That, you know, we're not going to get to it today. So how is this, how is tonight's message helpful? Maybe you're thinking that. Well, let me leave you with this encouragement and outline how this message is necessary and helpful for you. One, now you know that anxiety as we defined it is sin. If you didn't know that before, now you know that. And why that is helpful for you is, as we've discussed in previous sermons, the first step in defeating a sin in your life is to acknowledge it and to confess it before the Lord. You can't defeat or conquer sin that you don't recognize is sin. So that's one way that this message will help you. Number two, and this is an, should be an encouragement, The second benefit of tonight's message is that you now know that the ultimate cure for anxiety cannot be found in changing your life circumstances. And why should that be encouraging to you? Because for many of you, and you may have already experienced this or felt this, you are not in a position to dramatically change the circumstances of your life. Maybe some, but for the most part, you can't. You can't. And even as you become an adult and you have more freedom that adulthood provides, you'll learn very quickly that you're still not able to control so many aspects of your life. But that should be encouraging now that you know this because the cure for it is not dependent. The cure for anxiety is not dependent on you changing your life, changing the circumstances of your life. And that should be encouraging because you have hope. You have hope that no matter how awful your life may be, how many stresses you may be encountering and facing, you can, through Scripture and through the Word of God, adopt a mindset and a belief system that will help you deal with your life circumstances in a godly way, without anxiety. So this concludes our message for tonight. Don't miss next week because we will get into these more in depth. But I pray and hope that what we have covered tonight is encouraging for you. So let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Lord God, we are thankful for your word and the opportunity to just explore your truth and to learn your truth from it directly, Lord. And I just pray for these students and all of us here that you would be with us, that That as we look into this topic more deeply next week, that we would come out the other side, stronger Christians and stronger believers in you as a result, Lord. Lord, I pray for these students that you would keep them safe, that this summer uh, would be a blessing to them, Lord, and that you would just continue to bless this ministry as well. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the East Memorial Student Podcast. For more information and updates about East Memorial Student Ministries, please visit our website at eastmemorial.org. You can also follow us on our Instagram page titled EMBC Student.